It's great to be back with you. A missions team arrived safely uh, Friday evening about 8.30. I think we got back here to Halifax. Thank you for your prayers. August 26th is going to be Bolivia Sunday, we're going to call it, where uh, it's the whole service is kind of dedicated to the missions trip, and we're going to be sharing different things that the Lord uh, taught us. Uh, most, if not all, of the team members will be sharing different testimonies of different things that the Lord showed them, opened their eyes to things they saw um, as well as uh, you know, a time of singing and, and a message and different things. Um, we're very, very excited about doing that. So uh, youth group will resume back on September 9th. There is prayer meeting tonight at 5.30, but the baptismal service that was scheduled for tonight is canceled um, as there were no candidates for that. Just so you're aware, uh, we will not be going to the Ozenbach's house tonight. Jean and Joyce Hoffman's 71st wedding anniversary is August 23rd. Um, let's shower them with cards. So the address is here in your bulletin. <laughs> I've only been away a week, right? As I've only been away a week. Well, we are going to say happy anniversary to you right now. Um, but we still are going to shower you with cards, so get ready for it. They're coming. They are coming. You've already got five. Oh. Well, I think, I think se yeah, 71 years. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Thank you for your example. Thank you for your example. Uh, the annual Word of Life Chapel picnic is scheduled for Sunday, August 26th, beginning at 1 p.m. Again, that's the same day as the Bolivia uh, service, so you come out that day. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful day. Debbie Markle also told me that the ladies' fellowship, which was scheduled for August 21st, is canceled. Is canceled. So um, we'd also like to extend our sympathies to the Pat Snyder family as she went home to be with the Lord this past Monday evening. We're praying for you guys. Definitely are. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Gracious God, we are so thankful for your love for us. We're thankful, Lord, that we can gather together in your name this morning. God, you are a good God. Father, as, as we are going to look at uh, later on in the service with uh, Job, your, your good weather at times are great for us or times are not so great. Whether, um, Father, we are in a place of celebration or we're in a place of suffering, God, your goodness never changes. Your love never changes. Your faithfulness never changes. And Lord, we're thankful that this morning we can gather together knowing that you are our rock. Lord, I ask this morning that you help us to uh, just push away any distractions, Lord. We ask that you do not allow the enemy to take our mind off of things that you want us to be thinking about. May we focus on things, Lord, of you. Lord, may we hear what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What a friend, what a friend. Everybody has trials and temptations. Whoa, 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 whoa. Everybody knows heartbreak. Isolation, whoa, 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 whoa
everybody has fears, everybody got worries, whoa, 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 everybody knows sorrow, devastation, whoa, whoa,
great singing. Would you take a moment to turn around and greet those around you in Jesus' name?
His children will not be forsaken. God is in control. We will choose to remember and never be shaken. There is no power above or beside Him, we know. Oh, God is in control. Oh, God is in control. History marches on, there is a bottom line Run across the ages, culture can make its plan Oh, but the line never changes No matter how the deception may fly There is one thing that has always been true it will be true forever. God is in control. We believe that His children will not be forsaken. God is in control. We will choose to remember and never be shaken. There is no power above or beside Him, we know. Oh, God is in control. Oh, God is in control. He will never let you down. Why start to worry now? Why start to worry now? He is still the Lord of all we see, and He is still the loving Father watching over you and me. Watching over you, watching over me, watching over everything. Watching over you, watching over me. Every little sparrow, every little thing. Oh, every little thing. Oh, God is in control. We believe that His children will not be forsaken. God is in control. We will choose to remember and never be shaken. There is no power above or beside Him, we know. Oh, God is in control. 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 What a comfort it is to know that He is in control.
And that's a message we certainly need to remember. Thank you, Steve. Keep uh, John Hain in your prayers. Um, he was in the hospital with pneumonia. I'm not sure if he uh, is still in there or not. Um, and Tim Wilbert, we just learned this week, has Lyme's disease. Um, yeah, oh no. Um, one more thing. So uh, keep Tim in your prayers. He's on antibiotics now for the next uh, three weeks. And I just learned during greeting time that Ada had fallen and uh, was in the hospital for a couple of days, broke a finger on one hand and a thumb on the other. So keep Ada Schaffhauser in your prayers as she uh, continues to live there at Heritage Mills and uh, was adjusting well and uh, actually beginning to enjoy uh, you know, living there. And so we uh, pray that that would uh, continue. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you, Father, that we can come before your throne once again as your children. And Father, even though we mention these accidents, these diseases, these illnesses, Lord, we are reminded of the words that Steve has just sung, that Father, you are a God who is sovereign. You are a God, Lord, who controls all things that come to pass. Father, we thank you for the great God that you are. You are an omnipotent. Father, you are all-powerful. And Father, with you, all things are possible. We thank you for that. As we bow before you this morning, Lord, we humble ourselves before you this morning, knowing the great God that you are. Father, I do pray for Tim, I ask, Lord, that these antibiotics would uh, be effective and do what they need to do to uh, remove the, this disease from his body. We, Father, pray for Ada. Uh, we do ask that, uh, Father, you would heal her quickly and uh, pray that this would not be a factor, Lord, in her stay here at Heritage Mills. And uh, Father, for John Hain, Father, we lift him before you once again. We do pray that you, Lord, might Watch over him. Uh, we pray for Pearl as well, Lord, her, uh, his caregiver, his wife. And we pray, Lord, that you might strengthen her during uh, these very difficult and trying days. Again, Father, we're thankful this morning that um, you have brought the team from Bolivia back. And, um, Father, we're thankful that you have given to them an experience, Lord, which um, goes beyond what uh, we could imagine. Father, to be able to be there and minister and be ministered to, uh, we thank you, Lord, for that. We pray, Father, for the Snyder family, Dennis and Jeff, who are with us this morning. We pray that, Lord, you might comfort them and Patty and others, uh, Lord, as they continue to grieve over the loss of, of a mother. Father, we, we have enjoyed Pat for many, many, many years. Uh, Father, we'll miss that. Uh, smile. We'll miss those kind words. But Father, again, we, uh, as we've heard and been reminded, Lord, uh, you control even life and death. And so we accept your will uh, that you have chosen to take her now to be with her husband. And Father, we pray that you would guide us in this service. Father, we've been looking at some very difficult things, suffering, hardship, tragedy. 
And yet, Lord, how do we respond to these things? How do we feel about these things? Do we accept them? Do we reject them? Lord, if you are a God who is in control, as we believe, then we as Job need to say, Lord, should we accept good and not trouble? Oh, no, Lord, we know the answer. We should be willing to accept both. So help us, I pray. Lord, in these difficult matters, this is not easy stuff. It's not easy, Lord, to trust you in trials, to believe you are in control in the midst of the storm. For, Father, when we're in the middle of these things, it's hard. And so we don't minimize that. It's difficult. And yet, Lord, you are a great and sovereign God. And you are to be trusted. You're to be worshipped as Job. Lord, he fell down worshiping you. You give and you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord our God. Lord, may that be our response. As hard as that, hard as that may be. Father, we thank you for salvation this morning. It was your son, Jesus, who suffered more than, Father, we can ever imagine. As he died on an old rugged cross, as you turned your back from him, as you abandoned him, as he cried, God, why have you forsaken me? Father, you laid upon him all the sins of the world, our sins, and he shed his blood so that we might be forgiven. Father, for salvation, we thank you. It is free. It is by your grace and mercy. And we stand before you in your presence, thanking you and grateful for all the great things you've done on our behalf. So guide us through this service. I pray, speak to us through your written word. In Jesus' name, amen. To God be the glory, great things he has done. Hymn number 40, would you stand with me please? Leonard's going to come and lead us in this hymn.
you this, this morning to put yourself in Job's shoes. I want you to try to imagine, and I know you really can't, but try to imagine that you've lost everything. Your ten children, your wealth, your possessions, your health, and this now is going on for months. Three friends come to you trying to comfort. At first they do. They grieve. They weep. They sit for a week with you. And you feel encouraged. You feel comforted that someone would come from such a distance and support you and be there for you. But then they begin to open their mouths. And they accused. And they condemned. And they said, Job, there's only one reason that you are suffering. It's because you are a notorious sinner. You would be suffering like this if it were not for something you have done. You are being punished, Job. God is punishing you because you reap what you sow. Job, all the way along, claims his innocence. He claims his righteousness. He even goes so far as to claim that he's perfect and sinless. He calls God his enemy. He looks up at God and says, God, you are wrong. You are unjust and you are unfair. And I don't deserve any of this. And in the story comes a man by the name of Elihu. Job's fourth friend. This friend had a different argument. He did not say that Job was being punished. He said, Job... Your righteousness is being refined. God is working on you. Job, you are not perfect. Job, you are not sinless. And Job, there is pride in you. You're proud of your own goodness. And God is refining you in this process. You're not being punished, but God is tweaking. Let me read to you the words of Elihu. These are words that he spoke, and I believe Elihu was the forerunner of God to speak. Remember when John the Baptist came on the scene and he prepared the way for Jesus. I believe Elihu came on the scene and in his words, he was preparing Job's heart to receive the very words of God himself. I just took a few samplings of the words of Elihu. Listen. Again, put yourself in Job's shoes. And this is what Elihu said to Job. God is mighty. He despises no one. He is mighty and firm in his purpose. God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? 
Who has prescribed his ways for him? Or said to him, you have done wrong. How great is God beyond our understanding. The number of his years is past finding out. At this, my heart pounds and leaps from its place. Listen, listen to the roar of his voice and to the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He unleashes lightning beneath the whole heaven and sends it to the ends of the earth. After that comes the sound of his roar. He thunders with majestic voice. And when his voice resounds, he holds nothing back. God's voice thunders in marvelous ways. He does great things beyond our understanding. Listen to this, Job. Stop and consider God's ways. Do you know how God controls the clouds? And makes the lightning flash? Do you know how the clouds hang poised? Those wonders of him who has perfect knowledge? Out of the north he comes in golden splendor. God comes in awesome majesty. The Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power. In his justice and great righteousness he does not oppress. Therefore people revere him. For does he not have regard for all the wise in heart? Imagine Job there in misery, hearing these majestic words from Elihu. And now God is going to speak. If you have been claiming innocence, if you were the one who was complaining and ranting, if you were the one who was disrespecting God and calling God your enemy, and you believe that you didn't deserve any of this suffering, I doubt whether you had a word to say. Elihu gave Job an opportunity, and Job's mouth was closed. How do you argue against a majestic, righteous God of justice. And Job listens in silent agreement with Elihu. And so after Elihu speaks, God now is going to speak. Remember the one issue we mentioned last week, the issue of pride in Job? And I use that illustration of that ball you know, with the little snowflakes inside. And, you know, all the little snowflakes, they all fall to the bottom and they kind of settle in there. And then along comes someone, picks it up off the shelf and shakes it good. And all those little snowflakes, they start to rise to the surface and float. Job's life was like that ball. And pride had settled into his life until suffering comes along and God shakes his life. And all of a sudden, the pride begins to surface. And the reason I believe that this suffering dragged on for months was because God now has another purpose in mind. Not just to prove to Satan when the suffering originated, to prove to Satan that Job really did love God, more than possessions and more than life itself. 
But now God is beginning to weed out this thing called pride. And Elihu, in the verses I just read and others, attempts to take Job's eyes off of himself now and begin to turn his eyes to God himself. You know, Job, he wanted an audience with God. He said oftentimes when he was in this dialogue with his three friends, if only I could speak to God. If only God were here, I would present my case to him. Now he has his chance. Now God comes to Job and speaks. Now Job has an audience with God. If you have your outline, I'd invite you to take it out of your bulletin. If not, I have it on the screen behind us. But I just want to show you the outline of the last um, five chapters in the Bible. Um, it goes like this, if you, can, if you see it. God speaks. He has this, I call it God's first discourse. So God begins to speak to, to, to Job. And he speaks using questions, after question, after question. And then Job responds. Doesn't say much, but he does respond. And then we have the second discourse. And the second discourse, again, is filled with question after question after question. And God gives Job once again a chance to respond. These are the last five chapters of this book. Chapters 38 through 42. So if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them to Job chapter 38. We're going to be reading maybe a little bit more this morning than we typically do in a sermon. But these are God's words. Well, the Bible is God's word, right? But these are God's words, if you know what I'm saying. It's God's word. It's all inspired but this is actually God's voice now to Job. Chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. And he said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. And I will question you and you shall answer me. This morning in part of the video that we saw in Sunday School, John MacArthur, uh, he read this portion of Scripture and he uh, said it was divine sarcasm. I'm going to ask you questions now, Job, and let's see if you can answer them. And this is what God does. He asks Job question after question, but here he challenges Job. He says, brace yourself like a man. You see, Job has been asking God questions up to this point. And God now is going to ask Job questions. Now it's time for Job to be put on trial. Now it's time for God to be the questioning attorney. And God is going to drill Job with questions. Brace yourself. It's a picture of Getting ready for work or getting ready for battle. 
And God, it says, speaks out of a storm. King James says, out of this whirlwind. Sometimes, God speaks in a still, small voice. You've been sitting in your living room or uh, your head's on your pillow at home and God speaks and you hear that quiet voice. But there are some times when that voice is not quiet. Here God speaks out of a storm. He thunders. He doesn't condemn. He doesn't humiliate Job. But he is going to put Job in his rightful place. He is going to come to Job a man who thinks he has all the answers. A man who thinks he knows a lot about life. And he's going to help Job discover he's pretty unworthy to question an almighty God. God is going to show Job that in the big scheme of things, he's quite insignificant and that God is in control and God is in charge and it's God who rules and reigns the world the first questions are about creation very interesting the questions that God raises now you listen to this turn to chapter 38 and verse 4 God says to Job this where were you when I laid the earth's foundation. Okay, again, put yourself in Job's shoes. You hear this voice thundering coming out of the storm saying, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you can understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together? And then all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its door and bars in place? When I said, this far you can come and no farther? Here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Here are questions concerning creation. Then God begins by asking Job, Job, where were you when I made all of this? Job, do you understand that I was the one, I am the great creator of the universe? And I also run it. I didn't just create it, but I sustain it. And I run this universe. And I always love the focus in verses 10 and 11 on the bodies of water. And God says, I am the one who put limits on where this water can go. If you've been down to the shore this year and you went to the same place you went last summer, the shoreline was at the same place, wasn't it? A few weeks ago, we had the Susquehanna, mighty Susquehanna River that overflowed its banks. 
But now where is it? It's now back to within its banks. God sets those boundaries. God, the limitless God, sets the limits as, to, as far to where the waters can go. Here, he says in verse 11, here is where your proud waters halt. God does that. God does that. Job, can you do that? Job, do you know how to do that? Job, do you know how to, to put limits on the what? Job, where were you? And then questions about inanimate nature. Verses 16 down through verse 38. The questions are these in those verses. Do you know where light originates? Do you, Job? Job, do you know where the lightning is dispensed? Where the lightning comes from? Job, let me ask you this question. Do you know how to make it snow? And how to make a snowflake? Job, do you know anything about the constellations in the sky? And then he mentions a few of them in these verses. One includes the bear. You know, despite their limited knowledge of astronomy, the ancient Israelites, I understand, they were awed by the fact that God created constellations in the sky. Job even mentioned that back in chapter 9 and verse 9. And this is the point that God is making. Job has no idea in the world how to make these things or create all of this. Job has no knowledge and no understanding at all. And then all of this testifies to the sovereignty and the power of God. And then we have the questions concerning animate nature. Running all the way through chapter 39. Let me just point out a few of these verses. Look at 38, verse 39. Do you, Job, hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in the thicket? Who, Job, provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? Job, do you provide food for lions? Do you provide the food for the birds. Job, do you do that? Jump down to verse 5 of 39. Who let the wild donkeys go free? Who untied its ropes? I gave it the wasteland as its home and the salt flats as its habitat. God is saying to Job, do you think there are wild and unpredictable animals in the world? Job, guess what? I'm the one that set them loose. I am the one who has created a pasture so that they might be able to run. These animals, they are the work of my hands, and everything is quite in order. And you, Job, you had nothing at all to do with it. Then I've always loved, starting at verse 13, God goes to a bit of uh, some, some length to talk about the ostrich. <laughs> Look at verse 13. The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, though they cannot 
compare with the wings of the, and feathers of the stork. She lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them, that some wild animal might trample them. She treats her young harshly, as if they were not hers. She cares not about her labor, that her labor was in vain. For God did not endow her with wisdom or give her a share of good sense. And yet, when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at horse and rider. Here is this foolish but very proud ostrich who lacks maternal instincts. She bears young and doesn't take care of them. And she lays her eggs in the sand, allowing another animal to come and trample it underfoot. You know, I was playing tennis a couple months ago. And every time the ball was hit and it would go back against the fence, this killdeer would scold me when I went to get the ball. And I grabbed the ball and came back and was playing a little while and then the ball would hit the fence again and about the same spot and I'd go back and here comes this killdeer on the ground, right? They just kind of run across the grass, scolding me. And I, I knew because when we lived in the parsonage and this lot out back was not paved, killdeer would put their eggs in the gravel. And I always thought to myself, this stupid bird, why don't you put something up in a nest Cars are going to come and run over those eggs. Here's the ostrich. And the ostrich puts her eggs in the sand. Why? God didn't give them wisdom. <laughs> he didn't give those birds common sense. It's not like they're doing this by accident. God created them this way. But what does it say about the ostrich? When she starts to run... She passes the horse and rider and laughs at him on her, on her way past him. She's fast, but stupid. <laughs> and God goes to great lengths to describe this ostrich, that he gives no wisdom, he gives no common sense. Now, they're not all that way. He goes on to speak about the, the horse who is strong, the hawk that soars, the keen eyesight of the eagle. And God is saying to Job, listen, I have designed all of these exactly the way I made them, the way I wanted them to be. Some with no wisdom, some with power, some with strength, some with keen eyesight. But I, Job, I did it. You didn't do it, Job, I did it. And so God asks all of these questions about inanimate and animate nature and then God pauses after all these questions God then stops and pauses and gives Job now a chance to respond notice what Job says in chapter 40 in chapter 40 and verse 1 well the first of all it says the Lord says to Job will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him let him who accuses God answer him so so here the lord is giving job now a chance by now i believe job is getting the point 
I believe he is beginning to understand that he has no business at all instructing his maker and his ruler how to run the world and how to do things. Remember what Job was saying. God, you're all wrong in bringing suffering into my life. And now God is saying to Job, I am the one who calls the shots. I am the one who's in control. I am the sovereign one. Now, God says, you're the one who contends with me. The word contend is often used of confronting a person in court who has broken a covenant or broken a contract. And God is saying to Job, are you going to tell me that I have failed? Are you, Job, are you going to tell me that I am not holding up my end of the bargain? Who are you, Job, to be questioning me? You know, we're in no position, are we, to question really anyone about something they know something about and we don't. That would be like me going to your place of work and you're showing me, you know, what you do through the course of the day and I start to point out areas I say, well, you should have done it this way, you should have done it that way. And you look at me like, who are you to tell me what I should do? I know about my work. You know nothing about it. That's what God is saying to Job. Job, you know nothing about running a world. You know nothing about running a universe. You know nothing about making animals or creating constellations. Now, Job, you who contend with the Almighty, should you correct him? And here's what Job says in verse 4. Job answers in verse 3. And he says, I am unworthy, verse 4. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Job's unwilling to speak a word. And this word unworthy is defined as insignificant and small. Job is beginning to feel his rightful place in the world. He's not God. He's not calling the shots. And he looks at God and says, I feel so unworthy, so insignificant at this point. Job is beginning to understand that God has a purpose to the universe, that the world runs the way it does because that's the way God runs it. He allows suffering to happen because that's how he made this world. And who, Job, are you to challenge me, to challenge the whole created order in which I have made? At this point, you would think God would be finished with Job, but he has more to say. We come now to the second discourse. The second discourse. And we find that in chapter 40, in verse 6. In chapter 40 and verse 6, the Lord now speaks to Job again out of the storm. All right, he's not speaking in that still small voice. His voice is still thundering. He says again in verse 7, brace yourself like a man. I am going to question you and you shall answer me. God is relentless. God is not giving up. God is driving home the point. He is pressing his case. 
But unlike the first discourse, talking about his creation, what God does now in his second discourse is this. God addresses the issue of justice. Justice. You remember, Job, what he said? God, you are unjust. You are unfair. And you are treating me wrongly. And God has to deal with that. And so God does. In verse 8 of chapter 40, it says this. God says to Job, would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? And that's what he was doing. He was trying to justify himself. I'm righteous. I'm blameless. And God, you have no right to send suffering into my life. You have no right to take my children or take my wealth or take my health. And God has to deal with that. God is now going to deal with justice in these verses, in this second discourse. So first of all, the questions concerning justifying himself. You see, Job, he kept trying to justify himself, saying that God is wrong and God is unfair. And so these questions now that God is going to ask are meant to remind Job that he can't stand in judgment against God. You can't judge God. You can't stand in judgment against God. So he asks questions. Um, it is interesting that he uses a couple of these um, animals. Again, I said he doesn't speak of animals, but he actually does here in driving home the point. Uh, the first animal is found in verse 15. Um, he says, look at the behemoth, which I made along with you, and which feeds on grass like the ox. Now, I'm not going to take the time to read down through the rest of this chapter, but he describes this, this animal. Some suggest the hippopotamus. Uh, some suggest um, some uh, extinct animal that we don't have in our world today. But the Hebrew word for behemoth is this, beast par excellence. So this is one of the greatest creations ever that God has made. It's a very large land animal with great strength, great strength. And he goes on to describe it down through these verses. Then we come to verse 1 of chapter 41. And we have these questions concerning Leviathan. Look at verse 1. It says, can you put in Leviathan, or can you pull in, like, like you're fishing, right? Can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook or tie down its tongue with a rope? In other words, can you control this animal? Some believe it's a crocodile or some other very, very large marine animal known for its fierceness and strength, even if you to read the description, even more terrifying than the behemoth that was just mentioned earlier. And the point that Job is making in asking these questions is this. These are strong and powerful 
and mighty animals. But God is infinitely more powerful and strong. And if one dare not to stir up these creatures, then who can stand up against God? Did you see the young lady who I think is graduating from college who uh, was kissing that big crocodile? Or was it an alligator? Was it a crocodile? Alligator. And this like 14-foot alligator, and she must have worked with this this um, alligator, you know, through the summer months and got to know it, and it got to like her, I guess, and she liked it, and uh, she took her graduation pictures, you know, looking at this huge alligator. Now, you know, we look at that and we say, that's a bit foolish. I mean, we know what an alligator can do, right? One leap and that lady is gone. So the question that God is raising to Job is, who would stir up one of these large land animals or large marine animals? Who would stir them up? And yet, Job, you stirred up God. You stirred him up by asking him all these questions. Why me, God? You're my enemy, God. You have done me wrong, God. You're unfair, God. You're unjust, God. Job, you've stirred me up. That's why he speaks through this whirlwind, through this storm. He's thundering, not humiliating, not condemning Job, but he is driving, driving, driving home the point. Job, you have no knowledge of how to run this world. You have no idea in the world how I do things. And so he uses these two animals. And at the end of chapter 40, he says about the behemoth, can you capture it by its eyes or trap it and pierce its nose? Think of trying to pierce the nose of a hippo. Can you do that, Job? Or can you, you know, throw out a fish hook <laughs> and hook a alligator or a leviathan or tie down its tongue with a rope? Who would dare to do that? Who would dare to contend with the Almighty? That's God's point. Job, who are you to contend, contend with the Almighty and correct Him? Who are you, Job? And then God gives Job another chance to respond. Over in chapter 42... We're not going to look this morning at the complete response. We're going to pick that up next week. But just look at one verse in 42 and verse 2. Job says this, I know that you can do all things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God has brought Job to where he needs to be. Not proud, but awfully humble. Submitting himself fully to a sovereign God. If it's impossible to control or capture or subdue one of these large animals, who in their right mind can think that they can call God 
into account for his justice. Who will contend with the Almighty? Who thinks they can correct a God who has done all of this? God has infinite wisdom. We have so little. God knows all things. We know little of the facts of life. Our position is to come humbly before an almighty, sovereign God and submit our lives to Him, knowing that He has purposes, knowing that He has plans. But as Job said, no purpose of God's can be thwarted, can be changed, for God is the sovereign of the universe. Let's pray. Father, we again are humbled. We're humbled, Lord, by these questions. We're humbled, Lord, by who you are. We're humbled, Lord, because you, you sit on the throne. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, we are creatures. You are the great creator. Lord, you love us beyond measure. We are your children. We are in your family. But Father, we know that you are in control. Lord, Job had to learn that lesson. We all do. That we really cannot change or thwart your will, your plans, your purposes for us. Help us to be willing to accept them because of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. How great thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. Number 32, how great thou art, how great thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Let's stand together and we'll sing this in closing. Lofty mountain grandeur, 
the gentle breeze then sings my soul my savior god to thee <coughs> how great thou art then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art and when i think his son not sparing <coughs> burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sin then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home my heart then I shall bow humble adoration and there proclaim my God how great thou art then sings my soul How great thou art, how great thou art. <coughs> how great thou art, how great thou art. Father, we thank you for that, for who you are. Father, if we've learned nothing else this morning, my prayer is we might know that you are a sovereign, almighty God. And that, Father, you do things the way you see fit, the way they know, the way you know they ought to happen. And help us to accept that as your perfect and mighty will. In Jesus' name, amen.